How's everybody doing? Good. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that I can have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. You see, from the very beginning time, God introduced the concept of an altar. Uh, you've heard of the term altar call, and, and we consider this in front of us, the altar as well. Well, an altar is any structure upon which offerings such as sacrifices are made for religious purposes. Meaning that we as Christians believe this is the altar where we sacrifice ourselves, that where we pray, and where we meet God. As to other religions, their altars mean something totally different. But the Bible records that altars are often made of stone, of earth, maybe some metal or even bricks. But altars are a place of worship. Let me say that one more time. Altars are a place of worship. Some are literal landmarks, while others can be locked deep in the recesses of our hearts. You see, each one of us here today have an altar in our heart. We worship, and what we worship depends on what is on the center of the altar of our heart. It is determined by our priorities, by our disciplines, by our devotion, and our love. Not only our love for God, but our love for others as well. So as we worship, I want you to understand that sometimes there can be good intentions that come out the wrong way. And the best way to see that is when you worship at the altar, again, you have good intentions, but it doesn't always come out right. And, and to see that, you can always look to the good old church bulletin bloopers that have been compiled from churches around the world. First one, Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Memorial Church in Racine. Come tonight and hear Bertha Belch all the way from Africa. You can't make this stuff up. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of all those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. Some of y'all laugh too loud at that. I like this one. The peacemakers meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. Thursday night will be potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. And uh, last but not least, my favorite, Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors at the side entrance. Again, you can't make this stuff up. While those church bulletin bloopers can give us a chance to laugh, uh, I can assure you that based upon the authority of God's Word, that worshiping at His altar is very serious. See, most everyone here this morning would say that they are here at the altar to worship God, that you are here to hear more about God's redemptive plan for your life and to hear about our, His Son, Jesus Christ. We all bow at His altar today when we pray, when we sing, we're giving reverence to Him, and we're thankful for His forgiveness, 
of our sins in our life through the sacrifice of His blood. But we must be careful, folks. Every minute of every day, there is something, there is someone, there is some force seeks to kick Jesus off of the altar of your heart. There is always going to be somebody, someone, some force that you to give your devotion to them rather than Jesus There are times when we pursue the altar. In other words, we, we run to the altar because we have a need. Maybe it's a loved one that's sick, or maybe it's a job situation, or maybe something about our life is, is not going right, so we run to the altar for help. But then there are times when we take the altar for granted. We're just too busy to make time for the altar. Sometimes there are times when we run from the altar. Often that's because we have sin in our lives that we refuse to repent from and we don't want to give it up. And there are times when we need to build altars to honor God and remember His faithfulness. You see, in the Bible there are over 400 references to altars. Anytime God moved in a significant way in the life of His people, He would instruct them to build an altar for them to give Him glory and remember His love and faithfulness. These altars would remind them of God's love and God's faithfulness. Don and I were driving the other day, and, and I asked her, I said, Donna, do you think that, that you have some altars in your life? In other words, there are places, there are things, there are, are moments, whether you go to them or you think about them, where you remember God's sovereign care. For some of you, it might be when you walk into a hospital room or a hospital. It might be when you drive by a place in the road that's got a cross on the side of it. It might be when you drive by a graveyard, a doctor's office, or whatever it might be. We are reminded by places and things about how times where God was faithful and God was sovereign and God loved us. And for many of you in here, including myself, this altar here that I have the privilege of standing before and that you have the privilege of coming to is that this altar, people have been saved in this church. People's lives have been changed in this church. People have left the world in this church at this altar. So what is an altar for? First of all, an altar is meant for worship. An altar is not meant for us to build something that's pretty to give us something to look at. An altar is meant for worship. And we see this in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Because after God's miraculous work, we will all worship at the altar. As we pick up this passage, this is in Genesis, the floodwaters had receded. And God had finally instructed Noah and his family to leave the boat to come out of the ark. It says in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, 
I will never again destroy all the living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Folks, sacrifice, as we see in the life of Noah, where the the first recorded building of an altar is found in the Bible, we see that sacrifice was the first thing that he had to do. Sacrifice is a requirement of worship at the altar. You see, atonement and forgiveness of sins, true repentance is necessary for us to worship. We cannot worship God with unconfessed, unrelenting sin in our lives. And also we see in Noah's case, he provided the animals that were necessary for sacrifice. Realize when God calls you to sacrifice, he's given you every means to do it. He's just waiting on you to bend your will to him. We see that true worship pleases God. We see that God promises to follow worship at the altar. And we see that God's character is proven. I love how it says that he knows that our bent, he knows that our default is to sin and to do evil things. But yet he says, I will cause the sun to rise and to set. I will cause it to rain and not rain, winter and summer. It's the old adage of when you see a rainbow, you remember the promise of God that he would not destroy the earth again. That is God's grace. That is God's promise. And because of his character, he has not changed. Now, he will come back one day. We know that that is the case. But for now, as bad as it gets when we turn on the news or that we look around, we know that God is still in control. Folks, God has set you apart today to worship him. He has set you apart as his people to glorify him. He has set you apart to worship him. And he has set you apart, yes, to witness about him, to glorify him, to give him glory, to, to, to thank him and to give all credit to him and to worship him. We're not here for um, our health. We're not here so we can feel better about ourselves. We are here to worship the Lord God Almighty, the sovereign God. And we are here also to give witness about him. He saved Noah and his family from destruction. He saved you from sin through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And he works out his promises in your life. Even this. Because you see, once we have an altar in our life, once we have that moment where we have seen God and we, we, we have that definitive moment where we know God was faithful, those things change us forever. Altars will change us forever. Just as if someone were to come forward this morning and to pray to receive Christ at this altar, their lives would never be the same again. Not because of the carpet, not because of the wood, not because of the pretty flowers, but because Jesus Christ has done something in their lives. This altar, God's altar, and altars mark events that change us forever. I want you to know, struggling is a part of life. The struggle is real. We all have struggled. Some of you, even at this very moment, as I mentioned struggling, the hairs on the back of your neck are standing up and you're starting to get a little tense. But the struggle is not like a TV show that can be resolved in 30 minutes. Some feel like 
you're on the top of the world and others feel like you might be on the bottom of the world. But God, whether you are on the top or on the bottom or in the middle, God wants you to find strength in the midst of your struggle today. How do you find strength in the midst of the struggle? At the altar, worshiping Him. And remembering that you are weak, but He is strong. God wants you to find strength in the midst of your struggle, and God wants you to worship Him on the altar today. And we look at a situation where we pick up, and I've used this this story before. Matter of fact, when I came here for a trial sermon, I I preached this passage, and and so this is not a, a rehash because it's got some different connotations, but still, this when I think of struggling or when I think of determination, this passage always comes to mind when we see Jacob wrestling with an angel. And before we get into that, just as a backstory, the story begins with a dysfunctional family. Many people know what a dysfunctional family is. Gone are the days of the Waltons. Gone are the days even of the Brady Bunch that had a blended family, but it seemed like they all could work it out eventually. Or the happy days. Now our family shows, and this is even dated, but, but there used to be uh, married with children, which was a dysfunctional family. Now we have modern family. We have all these other family shows, and all of them are so messed up. And I'm not preaching against those TV shows. I'm just saying that Hollywood is a representation of what our world is like. And so Jacob came from a dysfunctional family. Isaac, his father, was Abraham's son. He had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was born with Jacob grabbing onto his heels, already coming out of his mother's womb. Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. Literally means heel grabber. Deceiver or trickster. So we see in this passage, there goes brother versus brother. Esau was a man's man. Jacob was a mama's boy. Jacob tricked his father into obtaining Esau's blessings because Esau really had no regard for it. And there's a a longer story with that, and you can read for yourself. But Esau hated his brother for tricking him and wanted to kill him. It wasn't just, I'm going to kill you. He literally wanted to kill his brother. We see that in Genesis 28, 41. So rather than Jacob manning up and faces his consequences, he did what any other person would probably do. Jacob did what? He ran. He ran like a flock of seagulls. And he ran far away. I know most of you will not know what I talk about. But like a flock of seagulls, he ran away. Well, As he runs away, he goes to his uncle Laban, and he sees a beautiful woman named Rachel, and he wants to marry her. So he talks to his uncle Laban and saying, hey, I'll work for you for a few years, and at the end of that, can I marry Rachel? He says, absolutely. So Jacob puts in his time, and then when it comes time to get married, he marries off not Rachel, but Leah, the not-so-pretty sister. The Bible says that she had weak eyes. That is a translation of saying, bless her heart. And he was not, I mean, she was not what he wanted, but he married her and he was, he was faithful to her. And eventually he married Rachel as well. But he was tricked. The trickster had been tricked by his uncle. His life had been nothing but con artist, 
getting one up on somebody kind of thing, trying to take advantage of other people. His character was not what you would say reputable. He was a bait and switch kind of guy. He'd give you one thing and do another. But we see in this passage that Jacob grows tired of running. Jacob grows tired of running. You see news stories and you hear about people that are quote-unquote on the lamb or they're running from their past, they're running from sins that they have committed. And finally, so many times they say, you know what, I'm glad I finally got caught. because I was." Jacob was tired of running. He said, you know what, I'm going to face up to this. Now, I'm not saying... This, this room is full of tricksters and con artists, but I will tell you this, there's someone in here that's running from something, and you've been running a long time. And I want to tell you what, I know you're tired, and I know you're weary, and the best thing you could do is what Jacob does, come to the altar. We pick up the story in Genesis 32, verse 22, where it says, altars are built by taking ownership of your struggles. Kind of like you see somebody out in public, you say, Hey, buddy, how you doing? I hadn't seen you in a long time. How you doing? And they say automatically, I'm doing fine. How are you? And then you say, Well, I'm fine too. Then you say, Hey, it looks like we got rain today. And then we talk about the weather and then we talk about little things and then we move on, all knowing all the time that you are in private pain and that person is in just as much pain as you are. But we don't say that. You want to trip somebody out? Somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And you really tell them, oh, i tell you what, I, I got a pint of fluid out of my back and it hurts and somebody was mean to me and, and my dog wouldn't let me pet him this morning and it just, you know, you'll find out that people will quit asking you. <laughs> if you're honest, you know. It's kind of like, hey, man, how are you doing? I really don't want to know, but it's just, hey, I don't know what else to say. Folks, the best thing that we can do in our struggles is take ownership of them. And Jacob does this. It says in verse 22 and 23, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, sent over all of his possessions. In this passage, Jacob acknowledges that his feud is with his brother was something that he had to deal with. And so he did his best to protect his family and his possessions. He said, y'all go across the river. I got some business I got to handle. And if anything happens to me, y'all run. But I'm going to protect you as much as I can because his family had gotten caught up into the wake of everything that he was going through. And as many of you have heard, the beginning to any type of a recovery, first what? Admitting you have a problem. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that ignoring our struggles or hiding from them or acting like they don't exist, if we do not take our struggles and acknowledge them, those struggles will build barriers between us and God, not altars. If you will not let go of your struggles, you will not let go of your pain, if you will not let go of those things you cannot understand, that will be a barrier between you and God or you and that other person. And that is not what God wants. He doesn't want you to build barriers. He wants you to build altars. And taking ownership of our struggles not only helps us to begin healing, but also it frees us to give God what is beyond our control. 
the hardest thing we can do is say, you know what, God, I can't do this. Because that goes against everything that we are. The next thing we see is that altars strengthen us when we are at a clear disadvantage. When we are at a clear disadvantage. It says in verse 24, This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Folks, altars remind us of when God held us up and when we could not stand ourselves. When, why, why did God send a man to wrestle Jacob? I said this before and I'll say it again. God knew exactly what he needed because Jacob had never struggled with anything in his life. He was a trickster. He was a con man. His native tongue was lying. You know those people that if their mouth is moving, they're saying a lie? That was Jacob. But yet now he's got a confrontation that he can't get out of. And who is his aggressor right here? Who is the one that is taking on Jacob? It's not Esau. It's God. He is wrestling with God. And so God through his angel, strikes him in the hip. And what happens when you have a hurt hip? You can't stand. You can't balance. You can't move. There's nothing you can do. I mean, and so Jacob is down for the count, but he is still wrestling. Have you ever known someone to break a hip? It's bad news. But God struck Jacob's hip so he could not balance or stand on his own. Folks, sometimes our struggles are meant to make us not be able to stand so that He can carry us. You have had or are in the middle of struggles that make you think you cannot stand. Life has a way of throwing things at us to make us lose our balance. Maybe the balance of our priority should be God family, ministry, and everything else. That's the balance. That's what works. That's, what, that's the way God designed it. Put your family before God. Family. If you put your finances before God, you'll eventually lose your finances. God is the mediator that equalizes everything out. And sometimes our lives get out of balance. God has to remind us that He is God and we are not. But when we're in these struggles, asking why is the wrong question. You may ask God, why is this happening or why did it happen? Here's the aha moment. Here's the, why did Jacob have to go through this? And if you don't hear anything else, I'll say, hear this this morning. God had to break Jacob before he God had to break Jacob for because Jacob was self-sufficient. Jacob was trying to do everything on his own. Jacob knew best. Jacob knew he was the captain of his life. And God said, oh no, I love you too much to let you still think that you're number one. I'm going to break you because I'm going to build you. It reminds me of the old illustration. They said that, that shepherds back in Jesus' time, 
or in, even in the Old Testament, if there was a sheep that would go run away constantly, do you know what they would do? They would get the sheep, and the shepherd would take the sheep, put it around its neck, so the sheep was around the back of his neck, his legs hanging down. He would break the legs of that sheep. Break the legs of that sheep. you know what that meant? That meant until those legs healed, that shepherd would carry that sheep for as long as he needed it. And those moments where that sheep would be with that shepherd, the sheep would get in sync with that shepherd. It would learn to, to hear his voice again and, and would to be in sync with his heart and would know that although his legs were broken, that shepherd would carry them and that sheep would never wander again. God had to break Jacob to build him. And sometimes God will have to break you to build you. Break me to build me. God had a lot of plans for Jacob. But Jacob would have never been all that God wanted him to be if he hadn't changed his character. We'll never have a productive future with God until we have given him our past and worship him for what he has done for us. Finally, altars mark the experiences God uses to challenge our character. Altars mark the experiences God uses to challenge our character. In verses 26 through 32. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob's name, he, he named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, people don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened at night when the man strained the tendon. He named that altar Peniel because he wrestled with God. And he won. Folks, God loves you too much to not develop your character. Jacob from birth was a trickster. Now was part of God's redemptive plan through Abraham, the father of his, his nation. See God preparing the way, even in this situation, for Christ to be born. And when God changes us, we cannot help but worship him. And remember his faithfulness. Peniel means I have seen the face of God and lived. I am sure many of you have seen altars in your life. And if you were to go home and maybe think about this, think about places where you have seen God be faithful in your life and claim them as altars for your life. But there's one altar I wanted to talk about today as we close our time together. 
Today I want to mention an altar that impacted our entire church family. On Monday, September 26, was the day our church was changed forever. Yes, the infamous bus accident. From that day forward, our lives had not been the same. Many on the bus or on the mend. Tragically, we lost our sweet Shirley. Why in the world would I bring that up on a day like today? Because, folks, what I'm telling you, for me, for this church, that bus, to me, is an altar. See pictures here. This was taken, of course, one when it was on its side on the wreck. And then another one, you see, where the window, that's the side that the bus slid on. Let me show you another picture. That's the bus today. I parked it out back. Some of you saw it when you came in. Some of you don't want to go near it, and I can't blame you. But I'm telling you, one of the most God moments I've had in a long time is when I had to get in that seat and drive it back to this church. And I'm in no hurry to get on 85 again with it. I'm going to tell you that. But you know what? It's an altar. Because when I look at that truck, yes, it's tires and metal and fiberglass and, and all of those different things. But we're still here. And I'm so thankful that uh, Billy Connolly, right? Connell or Connolly? Connell. Billy Connell is here. He's the man sitting up front. Some of you might have wondered who he is. If you've ever had a wreck, he's probably been driving the wrecker. Matter of fact, when my wife flipped on Calhoun on her Civic, you're the one that picked her up. You're the first guy that people will see. But I want you to know that, that for months now, he and the folks at CMS did the impossible. I told him that we were dedicating the bus this morning and invited him, and he's here. It's not about a job. It's not about repair work. Part of a bigger picture, and I can guarantee you, there are many times when we go by to see that bus when it was being fixed, and we just have prayer there, wouldn't we? This wasn't just a project for them, and it wasn't just a project for us. We built an altar. God has grown our faith as a church and as individuals. And he has deepened our resolve in the church in many ways. But this bus reminds us of God's faithfulness. This bus reminds us that we must give him glory. There are a lot of people in this world that had no idea who Homeland Park Baptist Church was until this happened. And I know people mean well, but I don't appreciate it. But they say, hey, I saw you on the news. I'm like, yeah, right, great. Or they'll say, oh, yeah, you're, on, you're the pastor of that church with the bus that flipped over. Yeah, that's me. See my name tag? They always ask, how are people doing? But you know what? When they ask me that, boy, can I give a testimony of God's goodness. It doesn't take long to look at the news just a few weeks ago in Texas. Same type of accident. A much different result. 
Why did God allow so many of us to survive? Why did God choose to take Shirley? Why did so many in that other accident perish? And I got a big theological answer for you. I don't know. Why is a question, is a hole that you will never fill on this side of heaven? But this bus reminds me that God has always blessed this church. From the moment I got here, I heard about the, the heyday when our church had fleets of buses that would go and take people. Right now, poor Nathan has maxed out his car I don't know how many times. It looks like one of those clown cars. I mean, kids are just crawling out of it. And he's needed it so much. Folks, I guarantee you, we've got to get back on that thing. We've got to get it on the road. We don't have to go down the interstate. <laughs> I'm not stupid. And I know some of you, and I won't blame you, some of you say, I'll never get on that thing again. Hey, I understand that. But do not forget that it's here, and we are here, because of the grace of God. And that He is not done with Homeland Park Baptist Church. And during this whole ordeal, we have seen churches and friends and a community that supported us. We've seen insurance companies that have done whatever they can to do the best they could, and I never would have dreamed that we'd be able to see that thing again. Billy, y'all did an amazing job. And I know it was a labor of love. I can't imagine how God gave you the insight to be able to call that bus company and tell them all the parts we needed. Thank you. Thank you. But I've got to tell you that this sermon is not just about the bus. Because the bus is a vehicle. The bus is a tool. The bus is a thing. But it is a tool that we use to share the gospel. And so when people come and they ask me, like I said a minute ago, aren't you the pastor that da-da-da-da-da? It gives me a moment. They'll say, well, how are the people? And I'll say, let me tell you what God is doing in Homeland Park Baptist Church. All who are struggling and all who are weak and all who are lost or misguided, the altar invites you to come forward today. God loves you. You will only admit your need for Him today.